Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This episode contains distressing themes and is intended for mature audiences only. Listener discretion is advised. On this episode of They Walk Among America, there is nothing more terrifying for a parent than watching your child become critically unwell and knowing there is nothing you can do to help them. We hand our children over to doctors and trust that they know how to treat whatever is making the child sick. It's important that doctors report any suspected abuse to the authorities. But what if their judgment is based on inaccuracies? To lose a child is an unthinkable tragedy, and to be accused of causing their death is another. Hello, listeners. I'm your host, Nina Instead, and welcome to Episode 46 of They Walk Among America, a joint production between the Law & Crime Podcast Network and They Walk Among Us, the award-winning true crime podcast. On July 9th, 1989, a three-month-old boy was brought to Cardinal Glennon's Hospital in St. Louis, Missouri. His mother told the doctors that baby Ryan had been throwing up and became lethargic with labored breathing shortly before she left their house 40 miles away. Patricia Stallings said that her son had been unwell two days earlier, on the evening of Friday the 7th, and he had vomited immediately after she fed him his last bottle of the night. By the following morning, he seemed to be feeling better, so she had gone to her sister's house and her husband, David, had watched Ryan at home. On that Sunday morning, Ryan got much worse, and Patty called the St. Louis Children's Hospital to let them know she was on her way. In a panic, Patty had followed signs for the hospital too early once she got to St. Louis and ended up in the emergency room at Cardinal Glennon's Hospital instead. But doctors there immediately got to work on trying to figure out what was wrong with the baby boy. Dr. Robert Lynch, a pediatrician at the hospital, reviewed the blood work report on baby Ryan's file. He noticed that there were high levels of ethylene glycol. The toxicity of ethylene glycol could explain Ryan's symptoms, and, in the doctor's mind, there was only one explanation as to how a three-month-old baby could have an active ingredient in antifreeze in his system. He had been poisoned. Patty and David Stallings had first met around 1986 when Patty was working at a 7-Eleven across from David's house in South St. Louis. David was enamored almost immediately and frequently made excuses to go to the store to see Patty. After some convincing, Patty agreed to go on a date, and they moved in together within a few months. They got married in August 1988 and had plans to start a family together soon afterwards. 
the young couple moved from St. Louis into a small white house near Hillsborough in the summer of 1989, when their first child, Ryan, was just over a month old. Ryan was not Patty's first child. She'd given birth to another little boy years earlier when she was just out of her teens. However, Patty's financial situation meant that she was unable to provide him with the care he needed and deserved, so she felt that he was best placed with relatives. Ryan's birth was a second chance for Patty to be the mother she had dreamed of being. She was in a stable marriage with a man who loved her, and they had moved into a beautiful new home with their blue-eyed baby boy. From birth, Ryan seemed to have digestive issues. He would vomit intermittently, but that's common in newborns, and Patty and David kept a close eye on him. But when Patty found her son in his crib on the morning of July 9th, she knew something was very wrong. Ryan was taken into the pediatric intensive care unit, and numerous tests were carried out to determine why he was so unwell. He presented with a feeding intolerance, increased lethargy, and difficulty breathing. In the intensive care unit, he was found to be almost unresponsive and had signs of an inner ear infection. Initial tests in the hospital revealed metabolic acidosis, a buildup of acid in the body that is usually caused by kidney failure. This meant that Ryan's body was unable to break down acid in his body fluids. Urine and blood samples were taken and sent to an independent lab, Smith-Klein, for analysis, while a continuous intravenous solution of bicarbonate was administered to try and treat the acidosis. The IV treatment was successful in correcting Ryan's blood pH and restoring the base deficit, but the results from the independent lab were troubling. Ryan's blood tests found a high level of acetone and ethylene glycol, chemicals found in household products such as nail polish remover and antifreeze. Although his condition had improved and he was not as critically ill as he had been when he arrived, Ryan was still lethargic and was still not feeling well. David and Patty kept a vigil at their son's bedside and ensured they had accommodation near the hospital so they could be close at all times. After three long days, the couple were carefully questioned by doctors about how Ryan could have ingested the poisonous ethylene glycol, and Patty and David were not allowed to be alone with their son. Local police officers arrived at the hospital to speak with Ryan's parents after doctors had reported their suspicions. Patty and David were repeatedly questioned about their relationship, how Patty had lost custody of her first child, and if they suspected their spouse of poisoning the newborn baby. Ryan was placed into immediate protective custody with the Missouri Division of Family Services. When he was well enough to be discharged from the hospital on July 17th, he was placed into foster care. Patty and David were only permitted to visit Ryan for one hour per week at an agreed supervised visitation center. Patty later told the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, It happened real fast. I kept thinking this would get straightened out. I thought somebody would figure this out. They'd say, oops, and we'd all go home. Six long weeks passed as the Stallings lived from Thursday to Thursday, eagerly anticipating the next hour they could spend with their son. On September 4th, Ryan was hospitalized again. He had been vomiting, became lethargic, had muscle spasms, and began hyperventilating. 
Upon arrival at the emergency department, Ryan was once again found to have severe metabolic acidosis with a blood pH of 6.9. For reference, any pH reading less than 7.35 in an infant is considered to be acidemia, meaning their blood contains too much acid. Ryan was critically ill and on the verge of death within hours. He was resuscitated with intubation to help his breathing and an IV of bicarbonate was administered. Once again, his blood samples were sent to independent laboratories, SmithKline, and the toxicology lab at St. Louis University to be tested using a process called gas chromatography. The labs concluded that Ryan had ethylene glycol intoxication, something that is typically found in patients who ingest antifreeze. The treatment for ethylene glycol poisoning is typically an ethanol infusion and dialysis to flush the kidneys and neutralize the acid but Ryan's condition continued to deteriorate rapidly. The police were called, and although Ryan was in foster care and only saw his parents once a week for an hour on Thursdays, they alleged that Patty had managed to put antifreeze into her son's bottle in the less than two-minute window she had been alone with Ryan while David walked his parents to the front door. The baby bottle used at that visit was sent to the lab to be tested, and they found that it tested positive for traces of ethylene glycol. On September 5th, Patty Stallings was arrested on suspicion of assault. A search of the Stallings' home led to the discovery of two bottles of antifreeze in the garage. David Stallings had told the officers that he had used it while working on his car, but the investigators were certain that Patty had used the liquid to poison her son 105 hours before he was rushed to the hospital in critical condition. While Patty was in Washington County Jail on assault charges, Ryan was on life support. David was by his son's bedside and pleaded with the judge to allow Patty to visit Ryan, but the judge refused. David held his five-month-old son as doctors turned Ryan's life support off. By 9 p.m. on Thursday, September 7, 1989, Ryan died in his father's arms. Patty was given the devastating news over the phone. She later told the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, I don't think I believed it. I just went around that entire day saying, no, no, no. I had just seen him. I had just spent the night with him. I was mad at everybody. The whole thing was just so absurd. Detectives told reporters that they would be upgrading the assault charges to murder charges within hours of Ryan's death. And on the morning after Ryan had died, Patty Stallings was taken to the Jefferson County Courthouse in Hillsboro and charged with murdering her son. The county prosecutor, William L. Johnson, announced after the hearing that he would be seeking the death penalty in the case. Johnson told reporters, When a person brutally murders a baby, death is justified. People who knew Patty couldn't believe she had been charged with the crime. Her longtime friend, Sandra Alsup, told the Post-Dispatch, she was a very loving mother. They are making her out to be something she's not. All she lived for was to take care of her baby and her husband. If the kid cried, she was there holding and loving him. That little boy was the best thing in her life, and she knew it. Dr. Philip Birch, the deputy chief medical examiner in St. Louis, said that the autopsy concluded that Ryan had died from ethylene glycol intoxication. Captain Wally Gansman saw no other way that Ryan could ingest the poison unless it was fed to him. He said, 
How is a five-month-old baby going to get around unless you put him there? He can't get there by himself. Patty remained in jail, where she discovered that she was pregnant with the couple's second child. She was not allowed to attend Ryan's funeral. On February 17, 1990, Patty gave birth to another little boy, David Jr., at Madison Memorial Hospital, located close to the jail where she was being held. Despite there being no evidence against David Stallings, DJ was placed into the custody of the Division of Family Services. A few weeks later, DJ became sick. He was rushed to the St. Louis Children's Hospital and presented as being unresponsive and had acidosis, just like Ryan had. Unlike Ryan, DJ was diagnosed with a rare genetic disorder called methylmalonic acidemia, or MMA, a condition where the sufferer cannot break down methylmalonic acid, which is found in a variety of foods. This is due to a missing protein, which is normally used as part of the digestive process of breaking down the milk DJ was fed, and he could only partially metabolize it, which resulted in a buildup of toxic byproducts in his bloodstream. DJ's diagnosis meant that dietary adjustments could be made that improved his condition, and he did not become as sick as Ryan had. Speaking about DJ's diagnosis from jail, where she had spent the last seven months since Ryan's death, Patty said, I'm very scared for him. It's sickening that he has to get sick to prove a point. Once it was reported that DJ suffered from MMA, a condition that could have affected Ryan, Patty was released on bail in April 1990. Investigators tried to determine whether Ryan had died from the condition or if he had been killed by his mother. DJ remained in DFS custody while Patty was out on bail. His condition could be treated with vitamin B12, which would help his body break down the acid. Patty and David were devastated at what they felt was a grave injustice and that Ryan should have been diagnosed with MMA before he died. David said, I think Ryan should still be here. He would have lived. The state agreed to postpone the trial until they could review the lab results from the time of Ryan's death. The assistant prosecutor, John S. Applebaum, said that he was certain that Ryan had been murdered. Applebaum told reporters, They cannot rule out that Ryan had MMA, but even if he did have MMA... He was poisoned. With or without MMA, he was poisoned. As the state continued investigating Ryan's death, a new prosecutor was sworn in, and it was up to him whether or not to bring the case to trial. George B. McElroy interviewed the witnesses and spoke with the experts about their findings. A toxicologist from St. Louis University Hospital tested the samples from Ryan and confirmed that he found high levels of ethylene glycol. The toxicologist also consulted with Dr. James Shoemaker, who ran the Genetic Metabolic Disorders Testing Lab at the university. Dr. Shoemaker was asked to test Ryan's blood to see if he had MMA. The doctor concluded that he had, but after being told that ethylene glycol was found in Ryan's system, Dr. Shoemaker said it was likely that the poison had killed the baby. Prosecutor McElroy felt that there was substantial evidence to support a murder conviction, despite the likelihood that Ryan suffered from MMA. There were calcium oxalate crystals found in Ryan's brain during the autopsy, something the medical examiner said was consistent with ethylene glycol poisoning. 
The lab had also reported traces of the substance in the bottle Patty had allegedly used to feed Ryan at the DFS visitation just six days before his death. The trial began in Jefferson County Circuit Court in late January 1991 before Judge Gary Kramer. The judge had sided with the prosecution on a motion to rule evidence about Ryan and DJ's genetic condition, MMA, as inadmissible at the trial because they felt that it was irrelevant due to the evidence that ethylene glycol was detected in his blood and the condition did not cause that. Doctors testified that they had detected elevated levels of acetone and ethylene glycol in Ryan's blood when he was at the hospital in July. After Ryan recovered and was placed into foster care, his parents were allowed to visit him once a week at the office of the DFS in Hillsborough. It was the state's case that at a visit on Thursday, August 21, 1989, Patty had put antifreeze in a pre-made bottle of formula in the visitation room without anyone witnessing it. A few days later, Ryan's foster mother became concerned when she noticed he was breathing heavily and was unable to hold food down. Ryan was taken to Cardinal Glennon Children's Hospital and diagnosed with ethylene glycol poisoning. This time, the doctors said that the levels were higher than they had been in July. McElroy told the jury, The baby was much farther gone this time. The doctors put the baby on dialysis to wash the poison away, but the damage had been done. The baby never recovered. The pediatrician over Ryan's care, Dr. Robert Lynch, testified that while Patty was visiting her son on the night he was admitted, the alarms on his monitors had sounded, and when he went to check on Ryan, he caught a strong scent of acetone. Patty was arrested the following morning. When Ryan died three days later, a social worker testified that she had called Patty to tell her about her son's death. The social worker claimed Patty had responded by saying, I don't care about that. Put David on the phone. I want to get out of this hellhole. The social worker admitted that Patty was likely in shock and under stress, but the prosecution said it was evidence that she had killed her son. Dr. Anthony Scalzo, the director of the Poison Control Center at Cardinal Glennon, testified that ethylene glycol was not a naturally occurring substance and was not produced by any genetic conditions. But the jury were not informed that both of the Stalling sons had MMA. Dr. Scalzo said that two laboratories had been asked to test the samples to ascertain whether or not it was ethylene glycol found in Ryan's body, and they had concluded that it was. Eric Rathbone, Patty's defense attorney, did not call any expert witnesses to speak about the molecular similarities between the chemical produced by those with MMA and ethylene glycol. He simply said that Ryan could have been poisoned by someone else or he could have died by natural causes. Prosecutor McElroy later told the jury that they couldn't entertain the thought of natural causes. He said, you might as well speculate that some little man from Mars came down and shot him full of some mysterious bacteria. Patty Stallings testified in her own defense. She was overcome with emotion on the stand as she told jurors, I don't know how they think I did it. I'm just as confused as anyone else in this whole room. Patty said she was furious when the doctors informed her that Ryan had been poisoned because, as his mother, she knew better. Patty said that during the visit at which she was accused of poisoning Ryan, her husband and in-laws had also been present for the majority of the time. 
The bottle she had used to feed him was prepared by Ryan's foster mother and left in his changing bag. She said she had nothing with her at the visit where she could conceal the liquid. A toxicologist testified that traces of ethylene glycol were found in the bottle used at the visit, even though it had been sterilized and reused. In his closing argument, at the end of the four-day trial, McElroy told the jury that Patty's lawyer had failed to show that Ryan could have died from natural causes because he could not find an expert who would testify to that. The prosecutor said that the defense strategy shifted to trying to show that someone else may have poisoned Ryan. McElroy said, That's like saying my dog didn't bite you, but if he did, it's not my dog. Don't try to understand why Patricia Stallings poisoned her child by feeding him from a baby bottle laced with antifreeze. The point is, she did it. Only she could have done it. After less than 10 hours of deliberations, the jury returned with a verdict. Patricia Stallings was found guilty of first-degree murder and assault. Patty was shocked at the verdict and was immediately taken into custody to await her sentencing hearing. David was inconsolable upon hearing that his wife had been found guilty of murdering their firstborn son. While overcome with grief and emotion, he repeatedly hit his head on the railings in the courtroom until he lost consciousness and had to be taken out on a stretcher. David later said, When they came back with the conviction, I just felt my whole world was totally shattered. I felt empty. Prosecutor McElroy spoke outside of the court and said, I feel good about the verdict, about it being a proper one that will stand up under appeal. I believe there was pretty strong and damning evidence that the state put on, and apparently the jury did also. On March 4, 1991, Patty was sentenced to life without parole and a concurrent 30-year sentence for the first-degree assault charge stemming from Ryan's hospital admission two months before his death. At the hearing, Patty told the sentencing judge that her defense attorney, Eric Rathbone, had been ineffective and had failed to call any of the 20 witnesses she had asked him to call on her behalf. Acting on the attorney's advice, David Stalling had not seen DJ for months, and the state were planning on terminating David's parental rights as a result. Patty hired new attorneys from the Almond, Williams, and Brady law firm in Hillsboro to appeal on her behalf on the grounds of ineffective counsel. The media coverage surrounding Patty's conviction attracted the attention of the notorious TV show Unsolved Mysteries the following month. The episode called Genetic Curse first aired on May 8th. It was watched by Dr. William S. Sly, a professor and chairman of the Biochemistry and Molecular Biology Department at St. Louis University. Working with Dr. Shoemaker, who had confirmed that Ryan had MMA, the doctors reviewed the evidence. They ran tests to see if they could detect ethylene glycol in Ryan's blood. MMA and ethylene glycol intoxication can both cause metabolic acidosis. And to distinguish between the two, the metabolites produced have to be identified through gas chromatography of the blood. MMA leaves propionic acid in the blood, which can be misidentified as ethylene glycol if gas chromatography alone is used instead of gas chromatography and mass spectrometry. Ethylene glycol is just one atom longer than propionic acid, 
and using gas chromatography alone makes it difficult to distinguish the difference on the graph that is produced. The doctors used both methods and determined that ethylene glycol could have been misidentified by the independent labs when it was actually propionic acid in Ryan's blood. They contacted the prosecutor and told him that they had confirmed the absence of ethylene glycol in the samples taken from Ryan before his death, that the elevated levels of organic acids found in Ryan's blood made them certain that he had MMA, and that the organic compound could be misidentified as ethylene glycol by the independent lab. Patty Stallings was granted a retrial after her appeal, and on July 30, 1991, she was released on bail after spending another seven months behind bars. She was ordered to wear an electronic tag. DJ was 17 months old by this point, and had spent much of his short life in and out of the hospital for treatment, and he remained in foster care. While awaiting the retrial, Prosecutor McElroy consulted with the renowned genetics expert Dr. Piero Rinaldo at Yale University. Dr. Rinaldo reviewed Shoemaker and Sly's findings and agreed that Ryan had MMA and that propionic acid had been misidentified as the active ingredient in antifreeze. McElroy still contended that the calcium crystals found during Ryan's autopsy and the traces of ethylene glycol found in his bottle were evidence that he had been poisoned. Dr. Rinaldo explained that the crystals had likely been caused by the ethanol that had been used to treat what was misdiagnosed as antifreeze poisoning. In patients with MMA, this treatment can have adverse effects, and it could have contributed to Ryan's death. The traces of chemicals found on the bottle could have been any substance used to clean or sterilize it. Dr. Rinaldo said that the lab had identified anything with a similar spike on the chromatography graph as ethylene glycol. Dr. Rinaldo later told the Post-Dispatch, I couldn't believe that somebody would let this go through a criminal trial unchallenged. On September 20, 1991, a press conference was held at Patty's attorney's office. Prosecutor McElroy told the crowd that the state would be dismissing all of the pending charges against Patty Stallings and that he was convinced she did not poison her son. McElroy said, Ryan Stallings suffered from a severe metabolic disorder that finally killed him. Unfortunately, we cannot undo the suffering the Stallings endured during this entire ordeal, and I apologize to them for that personally, and I've done that this morning and hope that their lives will be happier and fuller in the future. Patty and David were sitting next to the prosecutor as her exoneration was announced. They were also informed that the state would be returning their 18-month-old son, DJ, to their care immediately. Patty told reporters that she felt numb, but she was grateful the prosecutor had an open mind and accepted the doctor's findings as evidence of her innocence. The following day, Patty and David spoke with post-dispatch reporters outside the St. Louis Children's Hospital, where DJ was undergoing more tests. Patty said that she had never gotten the chance to grieve for Ryan, and the magnitude of the loss they had suffered only began to hit her once the battle to prove her innocence was over. She said, I've not concentrated on that a lot because I knew that would break my strength, and I needed what little bit of strength I had left to make it through this. 
Maybe now I can start accepting this, now that the big fight's over. David had been allowed to visit DJ weekly while Patty was in prison, but DJ had spent the first 18 months of his life in foster care, so the couple not only had to learn to care for a child with a chronic, life-threatening condition, they had to get to know him, too. They were looking forward to starting over with their little boy, but the risk of passing the genetic condition on made them question whether they should have any more children. Patty said, We'd love to, but we don't know if we should. It's a one in four chance that the other child might have it. We just want to quietly go on with the rest of our lives. No more reporters, no more cameras, no more anything. We just want an island somewhere where we can be happy. Shortly after DJ was diagnosed with MMA, Patty and David Stallings filed a civil lawsuit against the doctors and laboratories involved in Ryan's care and misdiagnosis. The suit said that the misdiagnosis caused Ryan's death, Patty's prosecution, medical and legal debt, the loss of custody of their son DJ, loss of earnings, and damage to their reputations. The suit was settled out of court for an undisclosed amount, something Patty lamented because it meant she would not receive a public apology. Patty donated money to a nominee running against Prosecutor McElroy for the Jefferson County prosecutor position. Patty said, McElroy knew what happened. They knew Ryan had MMA, and they hid it. I believe the doctors knew too, but they were all scared of having it come out. It was alleged that the prosecutor had misrepresented the experts' opinions on whether there was conclusive evidence that Ryan had been poisoned. This meant that the testimony about the genetic condition was not presented to the jury. Patty was wrongfully convicted of murder when Ryan had not been murdered at all. David had supported Patty throughout the entire ordeal, but they divorced a few years after she was exonerated. DJ was raised by his father and sadly passed away in 2013 at the age of 23. David died six years later. He is buried at Jefferson Barracks National Cemetery with his sons. Not much is known about Patty Stallings after she divorced. The case highlighted that expert testimony is not infallible, and unfortunately, it took another innocent child being diagnosed with a devastating illness to prove that Ryan Stallings was not murdered, and his misdiagnosis and the treatment he was given as a result could have contributed to his death. This episode was researched and written by Eileen McFarlane, editing and scoring by Corey Hiltman, script editing, additional writing, and production direction by Rosanna and Benjamin Fitton. For more on our series and notes on this episode, please visit theywalkamonguspodcast.com. For more on the Law & Crime Podcast Network, please visit lawandcrime.com podcasts. This has been They Walk Among America. We will be back next week. Thank you for listening and please be safe.
Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications at TryLifeMD.com? We're now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. It's fun to put on jeans that you couldn't get into six months ago. Every morning, I look forward to getting on the scale. For anybody who's struggling with their weight, it's a godsend. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at trylifemd.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com.